Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello church, good to be with you tonight, opening up Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I'm going to pray for us as we begin, so let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, please uh, take everything away that would distract us from hearing your voice tonight as we open up Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Lord, please work by your Spirit uh, as we hear what you have to say, as, you, as we hear the world uh, the way you see it. Uh, may you comfort us, uh, teach us, rebuke us, challenge us. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, can you relate to these two experiences? Let me give them to you. The first one is, uh, you've put your trust in Jesus, uh, Jesus is your Lord, He is your Saviour, uh, you realise He has died for you, by His kindness and mercy, you are saved, you are forgiven. Uh, what does the Bible say? You're a child of God, you're adopted, uh, you're a son, a daughter of the King, you're victorious in Jesus... Uh, the Bible says you're a conqueror, uh, more than a conqueror. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Uh, I don't know about you, as I think about getting here to church, as I think about my week and the chaos and the anxieties and the concerns, I don't feel triumphant. Uh, sometimes we don't feel forgiven, do we? Uh, not everything goes well for us all of the time. Uh, I'm not a success in everything I turn my hand to. I pray and I, sometimes it feels like God is not answering my prayers. I face difficulties in relationships, uh, in finances. Um, maybe you think I didn't get the job that I wanted. Uh, uh, if you're married, mar- marriage maybe not going so great or family life not as you'd like it, struggling. Uh, you're not prosperous, healthy, triumphant. And even when you ask God to change those things, they don't seem to change. How do you make sense of those two things uh, in the Christian life? Uh, You're a child of the king of the universe and you you face these difficulties, these realities in life. Uh, Well, lots of people have tried to make sense of those two things. Now, one answer is, comes, some people would say, comes from this very passage we're looking at tonight. Uh, they would say, why are you seeing a disjunct between those two things? Well, the problem is with you. The problem is that you don't have enough faith. Uh, That's the problem that you need to fix. So look at, with me, verse 20, they'd say, look at Jesus' promise. If you have faith, Matthew 7, 20, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, There's a theology called the word of faith. Uh, It's kind of the idea that if you have enough belief, it will happen. If you name it, it's called name it and claim it, uh, you should name what you want from God, demand it from God, expect it from God and you'll get it from God uh, because you have enough faith. Uh, this, This kind of thinking says... You ought to expect to be triumphant. You ought to expect to be wealthy, successful, uh, healthy. And if you don't, 
there is clear evidence that you do not have enough faith. Uh, And here it is, it seems, on the lips of Jesus. Uh, All you need to do is tell God what you want, make sure you don't doubt, and it'll be yours. Uh, You can and should be the victorious Christian. Now, is that what Jesus is saying? I want to suggest to you that it's not what Jesus is saying. I want to suggest to you a better way. I want you to come on a journey with me as we understand this in context, because there there is a very wrong understanding of Jesus, uh, a very destructive and dangerous direction. Uh, What is a better way, a better way to live life as a disciple uh, through the ups and downs of life with joy? Uh, In fact, it gets to the core of things, actually, what is a true disciple? Okay, so that's the journey we're on tonight. And it starts with context. Uh, What's the context of what Jesus has just said? Uh, So have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 17. Uh, But the context, we're in Matthew's biography of Jesus' life. Uh, So second half, uh, if you were with us last year, we we kicked off the first half. But uh, what's this second half about? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to enter the kingdom of God? Uh, We're going to take this journey with with Jesus all the way to Easter and Jesus' death and resurrection. But the context here is uh, Jesus healing a demon-possessed boy. Uh, That comes just after Jesus uh, up on a mountain with the disciples. And flick back to chapter 16, there's a famous chapter just before we've heard Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, here's one thing I reckon you get from the context. Look at it with me in chapter 16. Be very clear on this. Being a disciple of Jesus is going to be difficult. Uh, Being a disciple of Jesus is going to be difficult. Uh, It's a joy. It's a privilege. It's the way to true life and eternal life. You'd be crazy not to follow Jesus, but don't think it's going to be easy. It's not the easy road. It's the narrow gate. In fact, that's what I think is going on in chapter 16 the disciples really struggle to come to terms with this. Uh, The scandal of chapter 16 is that Peter has said, Jesus, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, you're right. But then what comes next? Jesus says, I'm about to suffer and die. I'm about to be horribly treated by the religious leaders to suffer, die, before I rise again to glory. And the real clincher that they can't get their heads around is when Jesus says, not only am I going to suffer and die, you will need to as well. The same will happen to you. Look at verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And Jesus goes on to say, there is glory coming for you, but first work out Do you want to come and follow me? And so what's the question at the end of chapter 16 before we hit chapter 17? The the message ringing in the the, uh, ears of the disciples is, is it worth it? Is it worth being a disciple of Jesus? And so look with me, chapter 17, Jesus now gives them almost a week to think about this and then he takes three of them up on a high mountain by themselves. So there they are. They head up to Mount Kira. I've just made that up. I don't know what size mountain this is. I don't even know whether Mount Kira... We don't have very big mountains in Australia, but we call Mount Kira a mountain. So picture that. 
there they are up on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured. Uh, Jesus' body is changed. It's actually uh, the Greek word metamorpho, which is the, translates to the English word metamorphos, to be radically transformed. Uh, so literally changed in form, but keeping with the inner reality is the idea. Uh, so there's Jesus, real flesh and um, blood body, but with a greatness, with a newness, with a glory uh, that the disciples have never seen before. Uh, what we're seeing here is God pulling back the curtain and showing us Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. There is the glory of Jesus before he entered uh, and became, entered our world as a man. Uh, this is Jesus unveiled uh, in all his glory. Uh, it's the idea in Philippians chapter 2 uh, where Paul says, uh, there is, who is Jesus? He is in very nature God, but he didn't take advantage of this position. He emptied himself. Uh, he made himself a man for our sake. He became a servant. And so rather than being served in all glory and honour, he comes humbly in the flesh to serve us. Uh, that's what Jesus has done. That's what, that's what Matthew's Gospel is about. But here for a moment, the curtain's pulled back uh, and we see Jesus in all his glory. The disciples see him in his essence, in his very being, in all his glory. And notice it's in real space and time, right? It's, it's a real historical event. It's not a make-believe thing. It's not... Um, magic, it's not superstition. In fact, it's so memorable to the Apostle Peter, if you uh, later look up 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, I can testify that this actually happened. I saw Jesus, I heard the voice from heaven, very terrifying experience, very memorable experience for the Apostle Peter. Have a look with me, verse 2, look at what's going on. Uh, Jesus, his face is shining like the brightness of the sun, his clothes are as white as light. Uh, think Moses on the mountain, Mount Sinai, but not like Moses. Moses reflected the glory of God. Here is Jesus, the source of God's glory. Here is God pulling back the veil. Here is Jesus in extraordinary glory. Now, if that's not dramatic enough, what comes next? Two prominent Old Testament figures appear. Uh, who are they? So it's uh, two of the great ones, alive and well, speaking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Uh, so who's Moses? Moses is a great hero of the Old Testament, uh, one who led God's people uh, in the covenant with God and through the wilderness, uh, the towering figure in the life of the Jews. Uh, it's through him that God says an even greater prophet will come. Make sure you listen to him. But also, Elijah is there. Uh, Elijah is also a prophet who comes later in, in the history of Israel. He's the one who reminds God's people, remember the covenant, you've turned back. Uh, he calls them to obey the covenant that God has given them. Uh, he's the one who never dies. So two extraordinary figures standing with Jesus. And you get the impression, here are three great ones in the midst of of the disciples, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. 
least that's how Peter, Peter sees it. Notice what Peter says. What would you say? Like, feels like he's struggling. What, what, what does Peter say? Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But here's the thing. Peter has missed something. Peter's missed something that God doesn't want him to miss, uh, something Matthew doesn't want us to miss. And so a voice from heaven interrupts Peter. Look at verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The massively significant statement that comes from heaven. Uh, Here is a statement that picks up on Old Testament um, promises. So Psalm 2, this is my son. Uh, my king installed on Zion, my holy mountain. Isaiah 42, here is my suffering servant, uh, the, the one that's chosen, the one that I've chosen and whom I love. Or Deuteronomy 18 as well. Uh, here is Jesus, the great prophet I promised would come. Listen to him. And so what's the effect? This isn't three great ones. This is two great ones and Jesus unique in all his glory. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, uh, the Great One in all his majesty, his glory, his power, his holiness. Now, why do you think the disciples are having this experience? Why has God brought this experience to the disciples at this point in Jesus' ministry? I want to suggest three things. One is to give the disciples great confidence So give the disciples great confidence. Jesus has just said, uh, I will suffer. Jesus is about to be humiliated as he heads for the cross. Uh, as As he heads for the cross, he won't look like a king as they taunt him, as they question him. He will look weak and defeated. And so God is pulling back the, the, the veil and saying, he is my son in all his glory. Remember who he is. Uh, let me assure you, hold on to him. Listen to him. This is Jesus in all his glory. But I reckon more than that, it's laying the foundations for when they see Jesus on the cross, just know this is the son of all glory, the person of infinite worth, the glorious one, who's laying down his life for you. That's, that's, who, we, that's who you will see on the cross. And then thirdly, I reckon this is saying to the disciples, uh, as Jesus said to them, come and follow me, come and suffer, but remember, suffering will have an end, suffering will end in glory. Let me show you a picture of that glory to come, to encourage you. You're on the right track. Uh, You're with the glorious one, the king of the universe, the son of God. Stick with him, listen to him. But you notice, even after the disciples hear God's voice, they still don't get it. They're coming down the mountain. They're still trying to put the pieces together. And they, they put a question for Jesus. Look at verse 10. They say, why then do the teachers of the law, if, if, if all of this has just happened, say that Elijah must come first? See, what are they thinking? They're thinking, you've just showed us your glory. It looks like the resurrection, the triumphant entry, the kingdom is about to come into place. Um, Peter's saying, isn't this great? We're all together. Uh, then they head down the mountain haven't we skipped a part of the timetable? Isn't Elijah meant to come and restore all things? And look at what Jesus says in verse 11. Actually, Elijah has come. It was John the Baptist. 
Uh, He did prepare the way for the kingdom, but he also suffered. They killed him for entertainment. Uh, He followed the same pattern, suffering and then glory. And then just after that, Jesus says, actually, I will face the same fate. I will suffer before I enter my glory. They come further down the mountain. And what do you notice at the bottom of the mountain? What are they confronted with uh, at the bottom of the mountain from verse 14? Well, it's, it's sin, isn't it? It's sin, unbelief, evil, darkness, brokenness. It's, it's the world that Jesus entered. Uh, I want to say too, it's, it's our world, isn't it? Uh, there's, there's a uniqueness to this uh, passage with a demon-possessed boy, a, a uniqueness to the time of Jesus and Jesus' ministry. So there's, I think there's a heightened and overt demonic activity going on uh, because Jesus is, is breaking in his kingdom. Uh, there's demonic possession that's happening at the time of Jesus' ministry. But here's something I think we, we can relate to. The cry of the father pleading for mercy for his son. Have you ever heard someone cry out, pleading for mercy, someone crying out in pain in a world that is so broken? I remember um, quite a long time ago now, I um, for some reason decided to go to this massive healing service at the entertainment centre, which has now been pulled down in Sydney, uh, to see what is all this about. I'm, I'm actually thinking this is a fake, but I want to go and see it for myself. Uh, thousands of people... Uh, people all around me that obviously have uh, issues that they want resolved, but a massive security presence at the bottom of the, um, the seating that stopped particular people from going forward to be healed. Uh, I never forget the, the words of a lady, her, her words ring in my ear to this day. Uh, she's, she was stopped by the security guard. She wasn't allowed to go forward. She said, but I have cancer. And just the the cry of her voice, the panic, the the fear, the anxiety, the I need help. I'm in a terrible way. Uh, And it was was tragic that she couldn't be helped on that night. But It's that kind of panic, that kind of anxiety, that kind of fear. In verse 15, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. My son is in a terrible way. He has seizures. He suffers greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And as you look at that scene, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think the problem is? What's at the heart of this problem? Well, I reckon it's two things. One is, the problem is death, isn't it? Uh, here's my son who, he's on the brink of death every day. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to lose him uh, each day. No one can help him, not even the disciples. What hope is there? But it's also the problem of evil too, isn't it? Here is evil that has been victorious over this boy as he's possessed by a demon. And I reckon the question here is, and it's a question of our world, isn't it? Who will, who will do something to restrain evil, to relieve suffering, to hold back death? Who, who can help us? And, you, and who do you see? Who's in control of the situation? It's not the disciples. They can't heal him. They can't cast out the demon, Uh, it's really important to see this, that it's only Jesus, isn't it, who's in control of this situation? Verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon, it comes out of the boy and he was healed at that very moment. So 
very clearly, Jesus demonstrates power, authority over evil, uh, over suffering. Uh, he is able to push back death. Here is someone that you can trust. Here is someone in whom you're safe, um, very clearly. But here's the question, why couldn't the disciples do it? Have you thought about this? Why couldn't the disciples cast out this demon and heal this boy? It, it exasperates Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, and Jesus really goes hard at them, doesn't he? He really rebukes them, but he, he, I take it he rebukes them because they were called to do this. They were called to cast out demons. If you, later you flick back to Matthew chapter 10, that was part of their mission. But notice, it's not just the disciples that Jesus rebukes. Uh, it's actually this whole generation. As I look around, Jesus says, I'm just exasperated. Verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put with you? Why can't the disciples do this? Well, the answer is in verse 20. Uh, Jesus says to them, because you have so little faith. Now, I want to pick up on that word faith. I reckon um, there's a few misunderstandings. The first one is, I reckon in our culture, think about the word faith. It's so often just cordoned off as a religious word, yeah? Uh, you've heard you know, faith-based schools, uh, faith-based communities. Um, it means, I think it means you have faith in a religious sense uh, when you don't have any evidence and you just believe despite the evidence. I think that's what people generally mean by faith in a religious sense. Uh, or it can be worse than that. It can be just, it's just wishful thinking. It's completely baseless. You're really quite naive. Or it's positive thinking. It's that if you conjure up enough faith, enough positive thinking, don't doubt, don't have negative thoughts, the power of your faith will make things happen. But I want to say all of those are very far from the Bible's use of the word faith. Every time the word faith is used in the Bible, it's always meaning trust, rely or depend. Um, trust, rely or depend on something or someone who is reliable or dependable or trustworthy. Make sure you understand that they are trustworthy, reliable uh, dependable, and then put your trust in them. That's the idea of faith in the Bible. Um, it's the most sensible uh, definition of faith, isn't it? I think uh, if we think about the word trust, rely, depend, we kind of use this sense of faith uh, in all kinds of parts of life. Uh, think about the bungee jump. Who's uh, been bungee jumping? Who are the crazies amongst us? Such a sensible crew. There's not very many of you. Um, when you go for the bungee jump, you, you come up to the platform, where is your trust? Where is your faith? Surely it's in the quality of the cord. Yeah? I'd be checking the quality of that cord, the attachment of that cord. I'd be checking, the, is the, does the instructor know what he or she is doing? Uh, there is where I want to put my confidence. Imagine if the instructor walks up to the platform, you sense that they're half drunk, and they say, actually, we've, we've come up with a new cord, we're trialling a new cord. 
Uh, it's, it's new material. It's made of cotton wool. It's, it's, it's this high-tech technology. Uh, and don't be worried. Just, just have faith. Just be positive. Um, just believe. I don't think that cuts it, does it? You want to check out the cord. You want to check out the instructor. What's important is what you have your faith in. It's not how much faith you have. It's what is the object of your faith that's important. And so same for faith in Jesus. Uh, Do you have faith in Jesus? The question is, do you trust Jesus? Do you depend on Jesus? Do you rely on Jesus? Do you think Jesus is reliable, trustworthy, dependable? If you do, trust him, rely on him, have faith in him. But the other misunderstanding uh, I learnt this week from this passage is that word, those words, little faith, is actually one word in Greek, uh, oligos pistos, uh, a compound word that literally means little faith. So I'll put it there on the screen for you. It doesn't make sense in English. So it's, you know what compound words are? I had to look this up. Um, I didn't do enough grammar at school. Um, but the trick with compound, so compound word is, is where you've got two words that are one word uh, next to each other. Uh, and the trick with compound words is they don't always mean the sum of the two words, yeah? Uh, sometimes they mean something different. So what's some examples of that? Um, the word kidnap. You don't get the sense of kidnap from understanding kid and nap. Um, another one is honeymoon. I don't know what that word means, <laughs> why we have that word, but it's not anything to do with honey or moon, just in case you're wondering. Um, so this compound word... Um, Little faith uh, doesn't mean a small amount of faith. I think it's better understood as impoverished faith or inadequate faith or inferior faith as opposed to true or real faith, uh, proper, genuine faith. So it's not that they don't have enough faith. I reckon the context tells you that anyway, doesn't it? He's saying you've got so little faith if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which is absolutely minute, you'd be successful. So it's not, it's not a mount because they've gone the wrong way. They've gone down. Uh, it's that you've got a little faith that's really inferior and no faith at all. You need to switch over to proper faith. And even if you had a tiny amount of genuine proper faith, you would be successful. And what is real faith? Real faith has to do with trust rely, depend on someone or something. The object is the key. And so it's, it's quite clear, isn't it, that a very small amount of trust in someone who is untrustworthy, um, sorry, sorry, a very small amount of trust in someone who's thoroughly trustworthy works, but you can have all the trust in the world, but if they're untrustworthy, yeah, it's going to end in tears. Uh, so what's the key? Very simple. Trust. Jesus, isn't it? Trust Jesus, rely on him, depend on him. Uh, I think that's what Jesus is saying. And why is Jesus exasperated? He's exasperated because if only this generation would trust me, if only they'd grab hold of, put confidence in me, uh, we would be in such a better place. And it's even for the disciples too, isn't it? If the disciples would only learn that they can do... They, they only learn this, this idea of proper faith, they would do anything in my name. Anything that I've called them to do, anything I've promised them to do, 
Why is that? Because well, Jesus is calling the shots. Our, our job, the disciples' job, is to pray, to ask God, to give, not to demand. And so, super important for the disciples, isn't it? How are they going to suffer for Jesus? How are they going to wait for the glory to come? They're going to need to trust Jesus with real faith, with proper faith, not in themselves. Well, as we finish up tonight, um, can you see how helpful this, this part of the Bible is for us? I want to give you three things to think about. The first one is, have a realistic expectation of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, know what it means to follow Jesus, that it will be difficult, it will be hard, uh, it will, will involve suffering and sacrifice, it will expect sin, um, evil and death in this world. Uh, sometimes suffering comes because of our sin, doesn't it? Or because of the sin of others. Sometimes it comes because we live in a fallen world. Other times it comes because you follow Jesus. Uh, but that's going to be the character of being a disciple of Jesus. What's the pattern? Suffer now, glory to come. But as I say that, don't hear me say that it won't be joyful and it won't be good to follow Jesus. Uh, don't believe the lie of our culture that says, actually, if you want to be happy, you need to turn inward. You need to ignore Jesus. You need to not serve others. You need to not sacrifice, not do hard things. No, no, with Jesus, real heartfelt joy and suffering can go together. Uh, real joy and sacrifice can come together. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to work these things out, don't you? You need to work out whether Jesus is true, whether this is worth it. Um, so I want to encourage you on that journey. Um, Adam pointed us before to the Life Series, Thursday night. Come along, uh, ask your questions about Jesus, find out is this true, is this real? Do I want to be, become a disciple? Come on Thursday night. But secondly, if you're going to go on this journey with Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple... And as I said last week, if we're going to be a disciple-making church, we're going to need to have a clear, clear picture of the glory of Jesus, uh, foremost in our minds. Remember, who Jesus is in all his glory, in all his greatness, that is the, the one you follow, the victorious one. That is the one that will give you confidence to face the world, to know that you're on the right track, to actually know that it's worth suffering for him, worth sacrificing for him, uh, even, though, even when the, the journey is difficult. Um, have a clear picture of the glory of Jesus. And have a listen to these promises to help us. Philippians chapter 3, it's picturing not only the glory of Jesus, but the glory to come in us. Uh, Philippians 3.20 says, The Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be like his glorious body. Glory is coming. Um, hold on to that, the glorious picture of Jesus and the glory to come in us. Uh, but also I want to point you to Romans 8.18. The Apostle Paul, he suffers greatly for Jesus, he sacrifices for Jesus. Hear what he says, Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What a perspective. So think about how hard it is, how difficult it is. As I live joyfully but in suffering as a disciple, I've got in my mind the glory to come. It will be worth it. But lastly, we need to trust Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. 
Uh, We need to have a solid confidence in him and listen to him, not only because he deserves to be listened to, but because that is what will get you through on the journey. And as I think about this, I don't know about you, but I think so many of us uh, need to repent at this point and, and think, I actually need to do miles better on this front. I actually need to properly listen to Jesus, not just, not just keep an ear out for Jesus, um, not just listen, sadly, how I sometimes listen at home, um, heavily distracted, I need to repent of that, uh, but listen and take the words of Jesus to heart. Uh, listen, take it in, live by it, put it into practice. Uh, make God's word your daily bread, the thing that you live by, that sustains you, that nourishes you. Feed on the words of Jesus, think deeply on, on those words, apple with those words, devour those words. There is our sustenance. Uh, he, here's the idea, change your mind to fit what Jesus says rather than the other way around. Because um, isn't it true that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a thousand voices speaking to us? How are you going to keep Jesus' voice, number one? Who will be the dominant voice inside your head as you live as a disciple? If it's going to be Jesus, you're going to have to be very intentional about that, aren't you? You're actually going to have to commit yourself to reading God's word, listening to it, gathering as with brothers and sisters, small groups on your own here at church to hear Jesus speak to you. And I reckon you need to do that daily, don't you? thousand voices every day is Jesus' voice cutting through to be the dominant voice. And so I want to challenge us tonight just to think hard on that. Uh, have we had a half-hearted approach to listening to Jesus? Now's the time to change, to, to have new habits, to truly listen. Because as we finish, think again about the glory of Jesus. Let me read to you again that picture of him transfigured. Uh, there was Jesus transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. There is the Lord we follow. There is Jesus in all his glory. Listen to him, hold on to him. Uh, Keep in mind that glory and the glory that we will share in uh, at the end of the age. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reminder tonight, the wonderful glimpse of the glory of your Son, the one we follow. And Father, thank you that we live after the resurrection. Uh, We know he has paid for sin. Uh, Jesus dealt with death. He now sits at your right hand and would return to judge. So Father, knowing the glory of the Son, uh, make us confident to face what the world throws at us, uh, what we might have to sacrifice and suffer as a disciple of his. Uh, Lord, help us to keep taking up our cross and following Jesus. Help us to daily listen to him. And Lord, may you continue to change and shape us as we do that and we pray it for Jesus sake. Amen.